Welcome to an enlightening podcast from IslamPodcasts.com. We encourage our listeners to please comment and let us know how we can grow in our knowledge to better serve our community. Please remind your family and friends to also visit IslamPodcasts.com for engaging discussions. <laughs> ومن سيئات أعمالنا من يهدي الله فلا مذل له ومن يذلل فلا هذي له وأشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له وأشهد أن محمدا عبده ورسوله أما بعد Today inshallah we will uh, continue our session This is the fifth session and uh, the topic we'll cover today would be from the birth of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam until the time prior to Rasulullah was appointed as the Prophet. So we understand this is we're talking about 40 years of his life. Um, to cover this in half an hour or 45 minutes of lecture is uh, almost impossible. But uh, we will cover briefly uh, the highlights that uh, we can cover inshallah and we can get benefit out of it. So uh, Rasulullah uh, as we were discussing last uh, week, um, he was from the uh, from from Bani Hashim, and uh, he was born in the year of uh, Amul Fil. Amul Fil is the year of elephants when uh, Abraha he attacked the Kaaba, and uh, this was covered in last uh, last week's session. Uh, but, but this is the year Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam was born, and uh, according to uh, we 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 are aware of that there are variation in the reports regarding the exact date of the birth of Rasulullah One of the riwayat that seems to be accurate is he was born on the 9th Rabi'ul uh, Awwal. Some of them you will find that says 12. Uh, but that's, uh, it's not that important to uh, go into the, these kind of details. Uh, so Rasulullah was born in, uh, uh, in the month of Rabi'ul Awwal and that was 571 common era. Uh, in the month of April, and uh, he was born. When he was born, his father was already passed away, and uh, he was passed. His father was passed away in Medina, uh, Abdullah. And uh, when he was born, his mother, she called his grandfather, Rasulullah's grandfather, Abdul Muttalib. And when Abdul Muttalib heard the news of the birth of Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam, he uh, carried him to the Kaaba, and uh, Abdul Muttalib is the one who named Rasulullah Muhammad and that was uh, a very uncommon name at that time it's not that it's a very common name uh, it was something uh, a different kind of a name that he named him and Rasulullah was according to the, the reports he was uh, circumcised when he was seven days seven days old uh, and the first after Rasulullah was nursed by his own mother, the first woman who nursed Rasulullah was a freed slave of Abu Lahab. Her name was Thuwayba. Uh, and uh, uh, she's the same uh, woman who also nursed Ab- uh, Ab- uh, Abdul Muttalib's one of the sons, Hamza, who was the, uh, who was the uncle of Rasulullah. And from that uh, relation, the uncle was his foster brother. When we say foster, it's from the perspective of that uh, they were nursed by the same woman. Uh, and uh, later on, <coughs> it was a 
custom in the Jazeera al-Arab uh, Arabian Peninsula that they used to send their younger kids uh, when they are very small, they used to send them into the desert to keep them away from, you can, if you want to say, the urban lifestyle, even though it was not really the urbanization that we can think of today. But comparatively, they considered that as urban uh, when they're comparing to the desert. And uh, there were multiple reasons for sending their kids to, uh, to the desert. Uh, one was, uh, which was one of the most important ones for them, was the language. The language which the Arabs were very proud of, the language of Arabic. And uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala actually revealed his mu'jizah to Muhammad sallallahu was the, the biggest mu'jizah which was the Al-Quran and the mu'jizah or the miracle in the Quran was the language. So the Arabs were very proud of their language and they, are, they, were, they were experts in their language as well. So they used to send their kids to the desert where they can learn the pure Arabic language. That's one thing. Second, they would stay away from all kinds of urbanization, kind of vices that come along with the urbanization. Third, uh, the environment and, uh, the, and, the, and the weather was much better there compared to uh, the city area, and uh, it was good for the health. So, for, so the kids will grow up over there, they are more healthier. So that was a tradition that the women from those desert or the villages, they would come to Mecca, for example, and they would take kids with them, and they, will be, they would raise them, and they used to get, uh, get paid by the parents. So <clears throat> when uh, Halima uh, bint Abi uh, Dohaib, she came with uh, some other women to take the children with them, uh, and they would nurse them and raise them in, 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 the, in the village area. When she came, uh, she, she, the time she came, it was a drought in the area, so they were not getting enough to eat. Even the animals they had with the, the, the she-donkey and the she-camel, uh, they were very weak. Uh, there was not enough milk in the cam she-camel or, or even herself. So when she came and she was looking for the children, she was not able to get any. As a matter of fact, she did, came to Rasulullah and the first time she passed by, <clears throat> she passed it. Like the other women also, because Rasulullah was uh, Yatim. His father was not alive, and she, he was raised by the mother and the grandfather. So they were, they were thinking, how much are they going to get from the mother and the grandfather? So they, they skipped like the rest of the women also. So what, uh, at the end, she did not have anybody, any child to take back with her. So she was feeling uh, bad and sad about that, that she would not, did not want to go back alone. So she said, why don't we take him with us? And they went back, and uh, her husband said, maybe Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will put the barakah. Uh, and it's a strange thing that even though uh, they were not Muslims at that time, they used to use this term Allah. So Allah was already a term, or the, uh, the, the ism of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala they used to use. And we know that the name of Rasulullah's father was Abdullah, which is the slave of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So they were familiar with this term, and they used to even believe in Allah, uh, along with the rest of the idols that they were worshipping. Okay, now, <clears throat> when, uh, uh, when Halima, uh, and you, you also hear the, her name as Al-Sa'diya. Actually, Al-Sa'diya is because she was from the tribe of uh, Sa'ad, Sa'ad bin Bakr. So, 
Al-Sa'diyya, she's the one who took Rasulullah and the moment she lifted Rasulullah to be taken with her, that she realized right away that for herself she had a lot of milk, but she was able to feed her son, who was not able to sleep the night before because he did not was not getting enough to eat. And now she was able to feed Rasulullah and that uh, her own child as well. And the she camel who did not have any milk, she's uh, uh, the, the she camel had a lot of milk also, and the. And the donkey that they came, who was very weak at the time, uh, got very strong. And they realized the blessing of this child, Rasulullah right away. And they started seeing all these blessings of Rasulullah to be with them. And when they went back to their area, they found that even the crops they had and the animals they had, they all started getting healthier. And this is the blessing that they started seeing from Rasulullah and they were very uh, pleased to keep Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam. While uh, we go into uh, what happened after two years, uh, there was just to for the sake of some completeness, and we can see these names will come up later on. Uh, there were some of the uh, the names who became the foster uh, through the uh, through the nursing, the brothers and sisters of Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam. We know that there was no direct the, uh, uh, real brother or sister of Rasulullah but he did have brothers and sisters who were through, uh, uh, through foster mother. And uh, through uh, Halima, Rasulullah had a brother named Abdullah bin Al-Harith, and Al-Harith was the husband of uh, Halima. Uh, Anisa was another one, Anisa bin Al-Harith, the sister of Rasulullah and, and the other name, which is normally the name is not 100% uh, uh, surety there, was Hudafa uh, or Judama. But she was, she was known by Al-Shayma. And Al-Shayma, the name of the foster sister Rasulullah became so famous that even her real name was uh, not known later on. I mean, uh, it was not, there was no surety about that. And then uh, uh, the other names was Rasulullah was also, uh, he had a brother named Abu Sufyan bin Al-Haris bin Abdul Muttalib. So he was the cousin of Rasulullah Sallam. This is not the same Abu Sufyan that we hear about. He was Abu Sufyan bin Al-Haris. So we are talking about the different one. This is the cousin of Rasulullah Sallam. And Hamza was one of those uh, foster brothers of Rasulullah Sallam who was fostered by uh, Halima as well as Suwayba. So from, through the two women. Uh, and Masruf uh, as another one, and Abu Salama bin Al-Asad. So there were seven brothers and sisters through the Rida that Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam had. So when uh, Halima uh, and, uh, and her family kept Rasulullah sallam for two years, and they saw all the blessings that were coming to them, they really wanted to keep Rasulullah sallam after two years, because this is the time of weaning the child. And they weaned Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam, and they really wanted to keep Rasulullah, but uh, uh, obviously she had to take him back to uh, the to the mother of Rasulullah Amina, and uh, when uh, she took him back, uh, took him back, she wanted to keep, and uh, it happened to be there was uh, uh, there was a, some sickness was happening in Mecca, and to keep Rasulullah away from that, she was able to build her case to keep Rasulullah for a longer period of time, uh, because they want to. Uh, they, they, they were seeing the blessings that they were getting because of uh, uh, this child, which was Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. 
So they took him back, but when they took him back this time, uh, what they found was um, when Rasulullah was around four years or so, uh, an incident happened. And uh, this incident is, uh, is mentioned in Sahih Muslim, uh, reported by Anas bin Malik. And he mentioned that Rasulullah he was uh, playing with uh, children. The hadith says uh, that uh, Anas bin Malik, and Rasulullah ataha Jibreel. Rasulullah was playing with the children. And uh, while he was playing, Jibreel came. And he took him and he, uh, he opened Rasulullah's chest and he took the heart out. And the hadith goes on that, that uh, there was a golden uh, basin in which there was zamzam and the heart of Rasulullah was taken out by Jibreel. He washed it and he took out the uh, clot blood which was from the shaitan. And uh, uh, when this whole incident happened, and the children who were playing with Rasulullah they ran back to, uh, to Halima. Uh, and uh, they told her that Rasulullah has been killed. Muhammad has been killed. And when she went there, she saw Rasulullah uh, obviously, we, we know the hadith that uh, uh, Jibreel, after he washed up the heart and he put it back and he sewed it back the chest and it was fine. When uh, when they went, uh, when she went there, she saw Rasulullah was paled. He was because of the fear. What happened? Uh, the incident that happened. He became scared, and he uh, uh, at that time she also got scared. Even though Rasulullah was fine, but she got scared. And she wanted to take, her, take him back to uh, his mother now. So this is the incident that made her return Rasulullah to the mother who was uh, Amina. Now, when Rasulullah was taken back to Amina, uh, after about, uh, when he was about six years old, uh, the mother, the, the very passionate mother of Rasulullah she also passed away. And the way she passed away, she took Rasulullah actually to Medina to visit the grave of his father. And uh, she wanted to take him there so he can visit and she can visit uh, the grave of uh, Abdullah. Uh, and uh, she had Abdul Muttalib with him and uh, another slave. And on the way back, she got sick. And at the place called Al-Abwa, which is in the middle of Mecca and Medina, she also passed away. So at the age of six, Rasulullah he lost his mother as well. And now Abdul Muttalib, the grandfather of Rasulullah he became the caretaker of Rasulullah And he loved Rasulullah uh, more than his own sons. And uh, he had a place of a sitting in front of the Kaaba. It was like a mattress. And he used to sit there. And we can imagine in back home in our countries also we have things like that. Like if you're in a village, uh, the, the head of the, the village is sitting there and people are around him sitting. Uh, so he used to sit there, and his own son used to sit, uh, they used to not sit on the mattress that he was sitting on, rather they used to sit around it. But Rasulullah would be the one who would climb on uh, Abdul Muttalib, and he would be sitting with him, and the uh, uncles would try to catch him, and put him away, and the grandfather would say, no, leave him, uh, uh, leave him with me. And uh, he continued to keep Rasulullah and he took care of him well. But at the age when Rasulullah reached the age of eight years old, at that age, uh, his uh, grandfather Abdul Muttalib also passed away. Now, after uh, Abdul Muttalib passed away, his uncle, 
Abu Talib. But, uh, Abu Talib, the father of Ali, he is the one who took uh, the caretaking of Rasulullah sallallahu uh, the responsibility, and he, Rasulullah was under his responsibility uh, from that age until he became a prophet, and actually even after that, when he was a prophet, Abu, Abu Talib, he used to protect or support Rasulullah sallallahu and give, he gave the protection to Rasulullah sallallahu and he was able to ward away a lot of uh, harm that could have happened to Rasulullah sallallahu through the hands of the kuffar. Now, <clears throat> Uh, when uh, uh, Rasulullah was 12 years old and he was with uh, Abu Talib, his uncle, and he was visiting Syria because Abu Talib, he used to do the trade. He was a, uh, he was a merchant as well. And uh, while they were there, uh, there was a monk named uh, Bahira. And uh, he saw Rasulullah and he recognized Rasulullah right away that he is the messenger of Allah. And he went to Abu Talib and he told him that take the deaf boy, he will be the messenger of Allah and take him away from uh, Syria. Because they were in Syria and Syria was under the Romans and Christians and Jews were there. And he said, if Jews and Christians, they will find out that Rasulullah is here and if they recognize him, they may kill him. They may kill him. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions in the Quran, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, That uh, the one who have been given the books, the, the Ahlul Kitab, they recognize Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam as they recognize their own children. And inshallah, when we will be doing the rest of the seerah and the incidents about uh, Salaman Farsi and uh, Safiya bin Uhayy bin Akhtab will come later on, we will see that uh, how these people were well aware of Rasulullah وسلم, uh, that he was the, really the Prophet and some of them even though they knew that he was a Prophet, they still rejected him. Uh, but that will leave it for the future. But here when uh, Bahira uh, said that he will be the messenger, he was asked, how do you know? And he said that we have in our scripture the signs that the Prophet would have. Like for example, when Rasulullah was passing by any rock or the trees, they were bowing down. And uh, he said that it only happens to a Prophet. What happened at that time, it only happens to the Prophets. And the other thing that uh, he mentioned was about the seal of the, of the Prophet. That was on the, on the back of Rasulullah by the shoulder. Uh, it was like the size of an apple. Uh, and he, uh, he mentioned that this is the seal of the Prophet, which is given in their scripture. So he was able to recognize Rasulullah from the sign which I mentioned. And the, these are some of the, and the, 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 the reports, which is about uh, Bahira, the, the monk, which is also named as uh, George, or in Arabic, they say Georgis. So uh, after, after that, when uh, Abu Talib found out about that the Yehud and Nasara or the Jews and Christians, they might kill Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, so he sent him back. Now some of the reports talk about uh, things about Rasulullah was sent back with Abu Bakr and Bilal. Obviously, they don't seem to be correct reports because Abu Bakr himself was younger than Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. That would mean that Abu Bakr was 10 because he was two years younger than Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And Rasulullah was 12, so they would be 10. 
And Bilal was not even in the picture because Bilal came into the picture way after that when uh, Umayyah bin Khalf, he used to torture because of Bilal al-Islam. And Abu Bakr Siddiq radiallahu anh, he freed him at that time. So uh, those reports that talk about that, that Bilal and uh, uh, Abu Bakr were the one who took Rasulullah back from Syria to Mecca, uh, they, they don't seem to be correct reports. Now, when Rasulullah reached the age of the reports of 15 or 20, uh, there, there, was a, there was some war that happened, uh, which is referred as Harbul Fijar. The Harbul Fijar was the one, uh, it happened because of uh, uh, some of the rights were taken away from the people. And uh, these fights were happening between the Quraysh uh, and Banu Kinana. They were on one side and Qais uh, Al-Ain tribe was on the other. Uh, but it went on for quite a long period of time, and Rasulullah actually participated in this uh, in one, uh, one of these wars. And uh, the riwayat mentioned that Rasulullah did not really participate in the actual war. The only thing Rasulullah was doing at that time was collecting the, the arrows and giving it to his uncles. So he was not a participant directly in, the, uh, in those wars. <clears throat> at the end of the conclusion of these wars, the, a peace was uh, uh, restored, and this is a very interesting part, uh, and, and I'll take a very small detour when I'm talking about this, which is Hilf uh, al-Fudul. The Hilf al-Fudul is the one that's a uh, treaty that happened among the tribes, and uh, they agreed on suppressing violence, injustice, uh, vindicating the rights of the weak and destitute. So this was the, this was the main thing that they agreed upon, Hilf al-Fudul, okay? And uh, <clears throat> Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam actually says, uh, when he became a prophet, he said, شَهَيْتُ فِي الدَّارِ Abdullah bin Jada'an. Abdullah bin Jada'an is the one who actually uh, broke the tr- treaty between them, uh, I mean, called, uh, made the treaty between them. And Hilf al an li bihi humul al-na'am, walau wudu'a bihi fil-islam, la'ajabt. So here, Rasulullah is saying, I witnessed a health, a treaty that happened in uh, Abdullah bin Jadan, and if that kind of a health, which is helpful fudul we are talking about, it is given to me in Islam. It is a very key, important thing mentioned here. But it says, fill Islam. In Islam, it's given, then I will, uh, uh, I will respond to it, meaning I will agree with it. Even though we would prefer over the uh, red camels or the red c- c- cattles. Now here, uh, point to make here is sometime uh, this idea of the Rasulullah said that he would accept these kind of treaties have been used in abuse in today's political environments among the Muslims. Whether it's the issue of Kashmir, whether it's the issue of Palestine, that has brought up as if when they are making those peace treaties with the Yahud are okay to make. Meaning, our uh, uh, previous Qibla would be given under the control of the Yahud uh, in the name of the peace treaty is okay to have. It is not okay. It is the land that belongs to the Muslims. It is the land which is supposed to be the one which was uh, uh, freed by Umar ibn Khattab radiallahu anh, and later on Salah uh, 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 bin Ayyubi. And there's a whole history of it. We are, I'm very sure that we are all aware of it. But we have to understand that that it does not mean any peace treaty, anybody says the word peace, it means that we have to jump and we have to agree with it. 
Look, when Rasulullah said about helpful fudul, he said, fill Islam in Islam. In Islam means it is within the boundaries of Islam. What Sharia allows, we cannot take something which is outside of the Sharia and say, because Rasulullah was saying about a treaty which was before Islam and he was able, he was willing to accept. So it means that we can accept on any kind of a treaty. No. It has to be within the boundaries of Islam. And that's what Rasulullah even talked about, helpful fudul. And it is important to know the points that helpful fudul was talking about, they were all that Islam actually allows. So we are talking about within Islam. <coughs> now, <coughs> after uh, the helpful fudul, uh, the few things that are mentioned in the Sirah books are about uh, what Rasulullah used to do for a living, there's not really much mention about what he used to do, except that he used to be a shepherd. This is one thing was mentioned. And other thing mentioned about Rasulullah's life is he has worked as a merchant as well, as a trader, which is, uh, which is why Rasulullah was uh, asked by Khadija, عنها, who later became the wife of Rasulullah at the age of 25, she heard about Rasulullah's honesty. And he was famous to be Al-Sadiq wal Amin. So she heard about it. <coughs> so she wanted him to take her goods uh, and do trade in Syria. And Rasulullah uh, did the trade for Khadija radiallahu anha. She was a wealthy woman. She was a widow at that time. And there were many people who wanted to marry her, but she always refused to them. Now here, when Rasulullah came back from the trade, uh, and there's a lot of, uh, uh, when it come, came to uh, the profit that was made, it was a good, good profit. And the people that uh, Khadija sent, one of the slaves she sent, he's, he said a lot of good things about Rasulullah, his honesty and how he was doing the business. And when she heard about all this, she actually asked uh, <coughs> one of her friends, Nafisa, who, who would, uh, uh, to talk to the uncle of Rasulullah وسلم, uh, and her uncle actually, and her uncle went to the uncle of Rasulullah to, uh, to offer herself for marriage to Rasulullah uh, So one thing, nowadays today, right away, we think of it as a no-no, it's a big thing, especially in our Desi community, that uh, how can, uh, for example, the family of a woman can go and say, offer their own daughter to marry somebody. There's nothing absolutely wrong in this. We can find even Rasulullah he was offered by Khadija in this case. So there's nothing wrong with this. Uh, we have some cultural uh, things that we have to get rid of. And when we are reading the seerah, and not only in the case of, uh, uh, in the case of uh, Khadija, we find like for example, the same thing happened when Hafsa, the daughter of Umar bin Khattab, who was looking for her to get married. In, in which case he went to Abu Bakr and Uthman and both of them uh, uh, somehow they denied because Abu Bakr denied he knew that Rasulullah was interested. Uthman he was not in need at that time. So, uh, but either way, Umar the father, he is the one who is asking his own friends the hand of, uh, uh, or giving the hand of his uh, uh, daughter to, to his friends even, or later on to Rasulullah <coughs> Anyways, so that Rasulullah he got married to Khadija. He was 25 and Khadija was 40 years old at that time. 
from Khadija radiallahu anha, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam had all his children were from Khadija except Ibrahim. So he had six children from uh, Khadija radiallahu anha. Uh, the eldest was Qasim, the, uh, and this is why Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam is referred as Abu Qasim as well. And Abu, uh, Abu Qasim means the father of Qasim, and this is uh, one of the ways, al-kunya is one of the ways of uh, calling people with respect. So instead of calling people by their uh, first name, you call them by their kunya. And the kunya normally goes along with the, uh, uh, you call them by the eldest son. So if somebody has a son, Qasim, he will be referred as Abu Qasim, like in, the case, in this case, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And he had four daughters, uh, uh, Zainab, Ruqayya, Umm Kulthum, and Fatima. And then he had another son named Abdullah. Now, the son Abdullah is uh, also referred as Tahir and Tayyib. Sometimes people get mixed up and they think of it as if Tahir and Tayyib were other sons of Rasulullah sallallahu These were the two names of the Abdullah, same, same son Abdullah. <clears throat> now, uh, when uh, Rasulullah sallallahu was at the age of 35, and uh, as, uh, um, a flood came, and uh, the Kaaba was the Kaaba walls were deteriorating, not because only of the flood. And flood used to come before also, and because the Kaaba is in a valley, so the water will come down. Besides that. It was built long, long time ago, and it was deteriorating anyways. So now it, uh, the Quraysh they 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 got they got together and they said, okay, let's rebuild the Kaaba. At the same time, when they wanted to rebuild the Kaaba, they were scared to take the walls down. And uh, so Walid bin Mughira is the one who said, okay, he will try. Uh, and he he took down some wall, and it, nothing happened. So they continued on and they re rebuilt, they started the rebuilding process of the Kaaba. But while they were doing the rebuilding of the Kaaba, a couple of things to make sure and understand here, and that applies to us to think and ponder also. Even though uh, they were worshipping idols, okay, <clears throat> they were idol worshippers, but when it, comes, when it came to Kaaba, they took it as this is the house of Allah, and they made sure any money that they were gathering to build the Kaaba, it is clean money. It is licit money, meaning it's not the, from, uh, there's no riba money involved. They understood that. Even, look, this is kuffar we're talking about. They were worried about that they have to build the Kaaba with the clean and pure money. No riba money will be taken. No money that's been uh, uh, taken in an abused manner for, from somebody or stolen or through gambling or this or that. So they were not using any of the bad money. Because they were using the clean money, they ran out of the money before even they built the whole Kaaba, the, the, the way they wanted to build. This is why that uh, the boundaries of the Kaaba, even today, it's, it became square. It's not, it was not supposed to be square, actually. And this is why there's, a, uh, there's an extension to it, which is called Al-Hajar, or Hatim, that, uh, which is actually part of the Kaaba, but they ran out of the money, so they did not build that. But everybody knows this is part of the Kaaba now. And they are still keeping it that way. Uh, I'm not going to go into the whole story of it, why is it kept that way. But uh, just to remember this idea though, uh, how even the Kuffar were taking care of it. So now we should think about today ourselves as well, right? Many of us, we are, uh, alhamdulillah, building masajid uh, uh, 
so we should be aware of this, that we should not be using any of the wrong means to build a masjid. Yeah? Um, uh, and if there is anywhere we see any of these things are happening, we should make sure, at least remind them to not to be involved uh, in any of these uh, things. Because we should not be thinking of this way that end justify the means. Meaning, your end is good, it uh, doesn't matter what kind of means you're uh, using. Or the, the actions are dependent on the, on, the, on the intentions. Well, actions are dependent on intention. This is very true. But the intention and action, they both have to be according to the shara. They have to be according to Islam. We cannot think of that, that my end goal is good, doesn't matter what kind of a means I use to get there. Okay? Uh, so it seems like a brother is showing me the, the, the watch from far. That uh, I'm taking too long, I guess. Um, I will try to wrap it up uh, quickly. Now, <clears throat> when the Kaaba was built, uh, what they did was uh, they were making sure that all the tribes were involved in building of the Kaaba. And uh, but but when it happened, when it came to the point when all the walls were uh, were built, and now they were about to place uh, uh, the black stone. And at that time, the fight broke out again. Okay, who's the one? Because this is a very honorable thing for them to put the black stone. Which tribe or the leader will go and put that? So they were about to fight again. So they, uh, they agreed on that, okay, let's do this way. Whoever enters to the haram first next morning, he will do that. He will, he's the one who will take care of this job. Now, <clears throat> the next morning, they saw Rasulullah Wasallam was the one who was the one who entered the haram first. And right away, they were very happy actually to see Rasulullah there. They say, this is, he is the Sadiq Al-Amin, and they were happy that he's the one, he is the rightful owner, to be rightful uh, person to be the one who should be putting the black stone there. So what Rasulullah do, uh, did at that time was, he asked for a mantle to be spread, and he put the black stone in the middle, and he asked representatives of different tribes to lift the mantle, so now everybody participated, and when they lifted it high enough, then Rasulullah took the black stone and placed it into the Kaaba. <coughs> so this is how the Kaaba was built while in the, in the, uh, in the time when Rasulullah was not a prophet yet. He was not appointed as a prophet yet. He was 35 years old. Uh, when we look at the life of Rasulullah prior to he became a prophet, there are a few things which we are all aware of. He was of the best character before he became a prophet. He was referred as al-Sadiq, the truthful one, and al-Amin, the honest one, before he became a prophet. He never worshipped idols. He never ate the meat that was slaughtered on the altars for, for, for different, uh, 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 different false gods. He never ate that. He was not involved in any of those drinking habits or uh, adultery, which was a common thing as we discussed in the previous uh, see the sessions that those were norms of the society unfortunately those were the sick things but Rasulullah he never participated in that <coughs> now uh, there were two incidents which I mentioned uh, in which Rasulullah was uh, he intended to do something bad Allah protected him One, once he, wanted, he was young and he wanted to go and listen to some uh, uh, music or something was going on, there was a wedding going on, and he wanted to go. When he went there, uh, and he saw people were singing, and he fell asleep actually. He did not, was not able to participate in anything, he fell asleep. He woke up with sun rays were hitting him at that time. 
And there was another incident that talks about Abbas, he was with Abbas and they were building the Kaaba and he was going to put his izar on his, uh, on his head. So when they're lifting the uh, stones, uh, it will not uh, rub off his skin. Uh, but even in that case, he fell unconscious, and uh, that did not happen even. So Allah protected him in, in all those instances also. Now, sometime, uh, the point I want to make here is, this is true that Rasulullah was of the best character even prior to he was appointed as a prophet. Sometimes we think of it as if that unless we have the height of the character, we are not supposed to carry the message of Islam. This is a misconception. This is a misconception. That we don't have to have the whole life have to be clean to carry the message on. I'm not saying that we should be committing sins and being a, the, the, the da'wah carriers or something. This is not what it means. What it means by that is that Rasulullah he was of the best character, he was protected by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But we as human beings, we are human beings and we can have our shortcomings. But those shortcomings should not stop us to carry the message of Islam to others. Yes, we should always be working to fix any shortcomings that we have. And we should be helping each other, all of us. Okay? Let's look at, for example, examples of Sahaba like Umar bin Khattab radiallahu Before he became a Muslim, he was the one who used to torture his female slave. He's the one who was on his way to kill Rasulullah He's the one about whom one of the Sahabi said that when he heard that one of the women was saying he might, Umar is leaning towards Islam. He did not become Muslim yet. He saw some softness. So he said, the donkey of Qattab will become a Muslim before Umar will become a Muslim. This is how much he hard-headed he was. But Islam came into his heart and right away we see the change in him. He did not have to go through a whole process of change. As a matter of fact, the moment he became Muslim, he told Rasulullah are we on haq? And if we are on haq, why are we here? We should be going up. Okay? So even if we... Thank you for listening to this podcast. Podcasts on current events, Islamic guidance, Quran, Tafsir, and Sirah are available at islampodcasts.com as well as on iTunes. Rate, review, and comment and let us know how we can grow 